Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. All right, Luke chapter 15. In case you uh, haven't been here or haven't been paying attention or uh, you're a a deacon and sleep through all the services, uh, we are in the middle of a series leading up to our sixth year anniversary, which, by the way, is next Sunday. All right, so we're, we're moving towards this. This is the last mess series in the message in this series before the anniversary. And so if you haven't invited someone, uh, invite someone uh, to come visit the church with us next week. Now, for the last three weeks, we've been asking a question. Who's your one? Who has God laid on your heart to invite to church next Sunday? And here's the reason. I want to ask you all a question before we get into this. How many of you believe that New Grace Baptist Church is the greatest church in Roanoke? All right. Not a hope, Olivia. I'm I'm a little hurt by that. Alright, so the majority of you, some of you are holding out, and if you don't think this is the greatest church, why are you here, number one? Uh, how many of y'all think that I am the greatest preacher in the world? Hope Olivia, I'm so, okay, there we go, alright, I got one of them. One of the twins. Look, I don't believe that, but if you think that, great. Alright, here's a better question, I hope all hands go up for this. How many of you think we have the truth of eternal life in the Bible? Okay, still got a couple holdouts over here. How many of y'all think God is the great, is the only God, but He's also the greatest God we could ever serve? How many of y'all think Jesus is the only way of salvation? Those are the reasons I want you to invite people to church next Sunday. See, not not because we're the greatest church. Because look, do I think we're the greatest church? Yeah. Do we have problems? Of course we do, because we got people, and where there's people, there's problems. And if we want to be an actual perfect church, then we'll just kick everybody out, you know, shut the doors, and it'll be perfect because only God will be here. We'll leave a Bible on the pulpit, and that'll be the perfect church. But then as soon as someone comes in a vacuum, guess what? It's not perfect anymore. Am I the greatest preacher in the world? Good Lord, no. Even Jesus says I'm not. He says John the Baptist is. I'm second. Uh, but anyway, so, but no matter if you think we're the greatest church with the greatest people, which I think we are, and I think you're here because you think we are, we have the truth of salvation that a lost and dying world needs. We have the only means of salvation that some people are ever going to hear, and that's what we're trying to get people to hear. So when I'm telling you to invite your one, you know, in churches we, we kind of use these natural big days. We'll do one in Easter. These are natural big days that just kind of get you motivated to invite people. Easter and Christmas, people are kind of motivated to look for churches anyway. But the, what I really want you to do through this series is not just think, I have to invite one person for the big day, but, okay, I'm going to focus on one person to live, live in their life and be a part of their life so that they can hear the gospel. And once that is accomplished, whether they get saved or not, that's up to you, that's up to them and God. But once I've accomplished the mission of making sure that one has heard the gospel, I'm going to pick another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. That's what our job as Christians. And so, yes, do I want a a big crowd next Sunday? Of course I do. I want to see the pews filled. 
I want to have a great turnout. I want to be able to praise God for it. But you know what hurts my spirit more than anything as a pastor? We'll have a big day next week. Large crowds, great people, great food, great turnout. The following Sunday, we'll have one of our lowest Sundays of the year. And that just, that bothers me. That hurts me. So, my point is, if you're inviting someone just for the grand, just for the, 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 the anniversary service, and you're like, well, I'm just going to do this so the pastor shuts up. That's not the point of this. The point of this is find your one now, and then once you've found that one, find another one. And then another one. And then another one. And then another one. That's what this gospel's about. That's what the, the church is about. That's what we're supposed to do. So, it's more about wanting a, a large crowd for a special day because here's the thing. Anyone that shows up anytime during any service is going to hear the gospel, but specifically next week, everyone who walks through this door is going to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. They're going to hear what the Bible has to say about salvation, and they're going to have an opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. Now, whether they do or not is between them and God. But you're going to do your part by getting them here. I'm going to do my part by preaching the gospel to them. And that's what we're supposed to do. A church's main focus, our main value, should be to prioritize the gospel above everything else. Getting the gospel to a lost and dying world is more important than your preferences. It's more important than your comfort. It's more important than what I think a church. It's more important than having good programs that, in, that encourage people and that make us look good and make us feel good. The most important thing that a church does is preach the gospel because that's what Jesus came to do. He didn't leave heaven, live a perfect sinless life, die on the cross in our place, absorb the wrath of God for our sins and rise again just so that we could have a nice building with nice pews and nice air conditioning and some of you think I keep too cold and all that stuff and so we could feel good about ourselves. Did He come to heal the sick? Yes, He did come to heal the sick. He did come to teach good, valuable lessons for life. But He came for more than that. He came to seek and to save the lost. Which, by the way, was all of humanity. We were all lost without hope, and He came for us. He came to rise from the dead, to defeat death and hell in the grave for us, and that should be our number one priority. Everything we do as a church should have reaching the lost as our goal. So that leads us kind of to our, our second thing, value that a church should have, and it's what we're going to look at this morning. As a church, as believers, we should do whatever it takes to reach all people. That's our job. That's our goal. That should be our passion. We're going to do anything we can to make sure everyone and anyone hears the gospel. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus, He tells us three stories to tell us how God feels about lost people. And they, these three stories teach the same truth. People matter to God. And therefore, people should matter to us. So let's start reading in Luke chapter 3. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 15, verse number 3. I left my glasses on my, my desk there. Uh, and he spake this parable unto them, saying, 
What man of you have any hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So of course this is a, you know, we all know the story. It's a story of a guy who has a hundred sheep and he, he loses one. Now this would resonate with people in this area. It's a, it's a farming community. They're, very, they, they're either growing crops or, or growing animals, and so they're very familiar with what's going on. And for, for one person to have a hundred sheep, this is a pretty wealthy guy. He's doing pretty well. And he, he loses, she got my glasses, she loses, he loses one of them. Thank you. Actually, they're my readers. I don't need them except to read, so I'm going to keep them like this. Uh, but anyway, uh, he loses one of his sheep. So he loses 1% of his, his wealth. 1% of the money in the bank he loses. Now, 1% is not a lot. I mean, if you bring home $50,000 a year, and next year your boss tells you we're going to cut your salary to forty nine thousand five hundred. It does. It is a little. It it impacts, it impacts you a little bit, but not that whole much. You're not going to hopefully, unless you've been really bad with your money, like you know all of us. Uh, you're not going to lose your house or starve to death by losing one percent of your income. So this man could say, you know, very easily could say, you know what, one percent. What's the big deal? Because he's got ninety nine other sheep left and. Here's a, I don't know if you know this about sheep, but you know what sheep do a lot? Reproduce. If you've got 99 sheep, pretty soon you're going to have more sheep. They, they give birth, uh, sometimes twice a year, but at least once a year, to one to three sheep every time. So if you've got 50 female sheep, in you know, at least one year's time, you're going to have at least 50 more sheep running around. So it's not like this guy's losing everything. It's like, well, I lost one. I got 99 more, and I'm pretty soon going to have you know, more than that in just a little bit of while. But he doesn't sit back and say, oh, well, no big deal. He puts the 99 in a paddock, and we don't know exactly what happens. We don't know if he leaves them with someone, but he, he makes sure they're safe at least. And he goes off into the wilderness to find this one lost sheep to bring that sheep back to the fold. He, he risked everything. Because while he's gone looking for the one, someone could come and steal the 99. The gate could break and the 99 could get away. He's in the wilderness looking for this one. He could get killed in the wilderness. There's animals out there. There's, it's dangerous out there. This one could have wandered off a cliff. Because here's the thing, and I've told you about this before, this is why God compares us to sheep. Sheep are stupid. And if they don't have a shepherd, sheep tend to just walk off of cliffs. So this sheep could be dead. He has no idea. But he leaves the 99 to go after that 1%. That's how God feels about you. But here's the thing. That's how God feels about the other 7.8 billion people on the earth. God doesn't look at the world and say, well, you know, there's 7.8 billion people. If 1% of them go to hell, no big deal. 
I'm still doing pretty well. God cares about the one who hasn't heard the gospel. And so should we. Then look at the next story, chapter number 15, verse number 8. It says, either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligence, she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, I say, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now, the next story is about a woman who's got ten coins and she loses one. Now, I did a lot of study on this. I'm, I don't have time to get into it. But culturally and historically, this is more than just like losing a quarter somewhere or you got ten bucks, you lose a buck. These coins, these ten coins... Represent, were, were typically given to women when they were married and they were worn in a headband and they, they showed their, their marriage and they showed their, their purity and their dedication to their husband. So to lose one, you're, lo- you're losing face, you're losing, you know, people are going to think, well, you know, her husband took away. It was weird the way they did it, like if you, if you were disappointed your husband, your husband would take away a coin. So if you're walking around with nine, you know, you disappointed your husband once, you got five, you're almost done, you know. So to lose one's a big deal. Uh, but more than just the cultural aspect of it, now she has lost 10% of her income. That's a big hit. 1% hurts, but you can, get a, you can do okay. You lose 10%. That's, that's devastating. I mean, none of us have torn a house apart looking for a penny. But if I lost $5,000 in my house... You bet I'd be tearing it apart. So how do you know that? Because I've torn it apart looking for a $20 check I got from an insurance company. So I'm definitely going to tear it apart for five grand. So this is a huge issue. And again, it shows us one person is important to God. Then look at verse number 11. This is probably the most famous story. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided it unto them, his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. Now right up to this point, we've got... Uh, two sons, so we've lost one sheep out of a hundred, one coin out of ten, and one son out of two. So 50% is another big hit, but that's not really the focus of this. This son, he comes to his father and basically tells his dad, I would, I, whatever I'm going to get when you die is what I want now. He's basically telling his father, I, you, I'm better off with you dead. I wish you were dead. And if I could, I would just take the money I would get and I would leave. And the father gives it to him. Now look, if my kids come to me and say, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's coming to me when, I'm die, when, I, when you die. Well, that's easy. You're getting nothing. So, mission accomplished. But, I mean, he's basically 
telling his father, Dad, I, I, I hate you and I wish you were dead. I'm better off without you. That's hurtful to a father. That's hurtful to hear. But the father doesn't yell at him, doesn't cuss at him, doesn't say, forget you, you worthless piece of junk, get out of here. He gives him what will come to him when he's dead, and the son runs away, spends all his dad's money, goes broke, ends up living in a, in a famine area, feeding pigs, and he realizes, you know what, I'd be better off just being a slave at my dad's house than here. And he goes home to his dad. And I want to focus on the dad's response here. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Uh, and his, now his elder son, anyway, I won't get into what the old elder son does. That's a whole other sermon. But the final story is about a lost son. Now, the father, the, the, the sheep, wandered off. Shepherd didn't know what happened. The woman lost the coin. Didn't know what happened. The father didn't lose his son. He knew where the son was, or he knew what the son had done. So he didn't just wake up one day and go, I had two kids, didn't I? Where's that other one? Where's another kid I lost? You know, the, the son insults the father, rejects the father, takes what is coming to him eventually, and leaves. He tells his dad he wishes he was dead, he runs away, but the father's response is incredible. He doesn't, again, doesn't curse him, tell him not coming back. He, he gets, gives him what he wants. The son leaves, but then the father stands by and watches for the son to return every single day. And when the son comes back, the father doesn't say, told you so. How, why are you coming? You said you didn't want to see me again, so be gone. You made your bed lie in it. The father rejoices. He makes him as a son again. He invites him back. He throws a all dignity aside. He runs to him. He kisses him. He hugs him. He throws a point, a party for him. But the point of all these stories is exactly the same. Lost people matter to God. And I want to focus on the first story again to show really how much God loves people. So look again back at verse number 4. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for uh, I have found my sheep which is lost. Here's what I want to focus on. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. There is rejoicing in heaven over one person who accepts Christ as their Savior. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one person accepting Christ as their Savior than there is 
over 99 church members who are faithful to church every Sunday, who tithe faithfully, who give to missions, who sing the songs, who pray the prayers, who do the religious duty. God says, that's great and all, but you want to see me get excited? One lost person getting saved is more exciting to God than a whole church full of faithful people. Now, I am not telling you you don't got to be faithful to church anymore. That's not what I'm saying. Don't even get that. We're going to talk about that later. But there is nothing that we can do as a church that brings more joy to God than witnessing and seeing one person get saved. Next week, we can have this place filled with born-again believers. We'd have to put out chairs and we can have the parking lot full, and we can have to, you know, figure out how we're going to do things. And man, this place can be packed full with with all saved people. But if it's empty, and there's one lost person here, and I witness to one lost person, and they get saved. God's happier over me preaching to one sinner who gets saved than He is having us a church full of church people. One getting saved is more valuable to God than anything else we could do. As a church, it's more important that lost people hear the gospel than it is that we are all faithful church members. Again, don't give me, I'm not giving you permission to skip church. The Bible says to church members, not forsaken the assembling of yourselves together. So once you're saved, you need to be faithful to church. But while we're faithful to church, let's not just say, well, I'm, I'm a faithful church member. I sing the songs. I give. I do everything. I make God happy because I warm a pew every single Sunday. You want to make God really happy when you're warm in that pew, bring somebody next to you, with you, that have never heard the gospel. Share the gospel with people. See people say, that is the greatest thing we can do as a believer. It's more important that the lost get saved, and we should do whatever it takes to make sure people hear the gospel. Paul shows us this. He talks about what it means for us as a church over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. starting verse number 19. Says, for I am I be free from all men, yet I have made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I have made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run, that you may obtain to Paul. Winning people to Christ was like running a marathon. In a race, you take off anything that's going to slow you down. That's why you don't run a race in combat boots with a 80-pound backpack on your back if you expect to win the race. Now, if you're trying to get endurance, go ahead and do that. But if you're running a race trying to win the race, you take off everything. That's why when you watch the Olympics or you see marathons, even in wintertime, the runners are like, you know, they're, they're, they're wearing those really skimpy short shorts and they're, you know, they got those microfiber tank tops. And you ever noticed, you see this with swimmers too, you ever seen a really hairy runner? No. Even if they are hairy, you know what they do? They shave all that hair. Arm hair, leg hair, face hair, everything. Why? Because they don't want anything slowing them down. They have shoes that are scientifically designed 
to be light. Why? Because when you're running a race, you put aside everything that could hinder you. Anything that could slow you down. Paul says he lays aside anything and everything that keeps him from bringing people to Jesus. He begins by saying, I made myself a slave to the mission of God. Which means nothing belongs to Him. Gives us a few things to think of as a church. Number one, the first thing we need to understand is reaching the lost trumps our comforts. Reaching the lost trumps our comforts. Look, change is uncomfortable for anybody. But especially church people in America. You want to make people mad? Go to a church and make a change. I read a book several years ago. It's called Don't Move My Pulpit. In uh, it, a guy was telling a story about this man. He came to a church uh, as the new pastor, and they had the piano really close to the aisle, and it made it was difficult for people to come down the aisle to come to the altar because the piano was right there. So one Sunday, the pastor was like, "I'm just going to move," and he moved it about a foot back. People came in and freaked out got mad at him, were yelling at him, and so he put it right back, but then every month he would move it one inch. So by 12 months, he'd moved it to where he wanted it to, and no one said anything. Change is hard. Now, some of y'all are getting nervous right now. Like, what's he going to do? Is he going to move the piano? No, I'm not going to move the piano. I'm not going to take out the pews. I'm not going to... Don't freak out. I'm not making any huge changes. But, you know, but the thing is, we have an idea of what a church should do. What a church should look like. What a church should act like. And we end up prioritizing our, or maintaining our traditions over reaching the lost with the gospel. Now, I believe our, our worship style here is honoring to Christ. I think it's inviting to people. So I'm not... And don't, be, don't be getting nervous saying this is just his gear up to paint the auditorium pink. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, not going to do that. Uh, but anyway, however, how would some of you feel if next Sunday you showed up and there's a strange person in your view? And I'm not talking a strange person as in a person you don't know. What if you show up next week and where you usually sit, there's a prostitute sitting there? Or a drug addict? Or a drag queen? Or, and here's the worst one, a Democrat? You come in next week, there's a guy with Biden 2024 on his, on his shirt. Y'all would flip out and freak out. Several years ago, during the Fall Festival, which is coming up in a couple weeks, by the way, but every year in the Fall Festival, we have several hundred people from the community come through. It's always a great outreach program. But when we had him out, we had, that was one year we had it outside. And I think, uh, I think that year... Every year we have a few, but I think that year I had, at, at least that I remember, four or five gay couples come through with their kids. Every one of them. I invited them to church. I said, hey man, great to see you. Hope y'all can come and join us for a service. we got stuff for your kids. It's a great time. And I had somebody come up to me and say, Pastor, you, you know they're gay, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Well, why are you inviting them to church? Because you know what they need? The gospel. They need to hear the gospel. 
They need Jesus just as much as I did. I don't care if it makes somebody uncomfortable. I don't care if you come in here next week and we've got, you know, all kinds of people that we think aren't, you know, we got the, the, the drug addicts and the prostitutes and the, the, the LGBTQ here and you're like, I can't believe it. You know what? We're gonna have them here because that's what, that's the people who need to hear the gospel. Now look, we're not gonna alter the truth. We're not gonna change what the Bible says. We're not going to water down what the gospel says. But we're going to prioritize people getting lost, people getting saved over anything that makes us uncomfortable. No matter what it is. We're going to do whatever we can to reach the gospel. Here's the second thing we need to understand. We pursue width, not depth. Width, not depth. Now look, we need to focus as a church on discipleship. On growing in our knowledge of the Bible, our knowledge of the Scripture, in growing in the Gospel. But too often, we as a church, we'll focus so much on discipleship, we'll ignore witnessing. We'll ignore reaching the lost with the Gospel. We need to make disciples, not just converts. I get that. But Jesus says in the parable, nothing we do with the 99 is going to make God as happy as reaching the one lost. Yeah, we focus on taking people deep, but we can never lose the priority of reaching the one. As as there's nothing can be, can teach the nothing we can do to teach the ninety nine brings as much joy as restoring one lost sheep. Nothing we can do with the other nine coins makes God as happy as finding that one lost coin, finding that one lost prodigal son or daughter. You know Charles Spurgeon, who is not known for you know light seeker friendly preaching. Uh, he said, if my hearers are not converted, I feel like I have wasted my time. I have lost the exercise of brain and heart. I feel as if I lost my hope and lost my life. Unless I find for my Lord some of His blood-brought ones, I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus Christ than unpack all the mysteries of the divine Word. For con- conversion is a thing we are to live for. Yes, We need to grow deep in our understanding of the gospel as believers. But when we grow deep, it shows us we need to reach out and grow wide as a church and give people a chance to hear the gospel. Growing deep in the gospel always makes you reach wide for the gospel. We're not supposed to be a stagnant pond that simply receives and receives and receives. We are to be a river where the gospel water flows through us to others. Here's the third truth. We go after everyone. We do whatever it takes to reach all people. All means as many as possible. It means all kinds of people. We want to reach as many people as possible. That's the whole point of the story of the 99 and the 1. Every single lost person matters to God. Every kind of person matters to God. When Jesus gave the great commandment, the great commission, in Matthew 28, He told the apostles to go and make disciples of every nation. The Greek word there for every nation is panta taithin. It literally means from all people groups. Jesus is telling us that we are to reach people of different tribes, 
of different ethnicities, of different languages, of different cultures, of different backgrounds, of different issues. We are to reach people from every tribe and every tongue to be a part of His family. As a church, we should try to reach all the different kinds of people in Roanoke. And look, Roanoke, not sure if you know it, is a very diverse community. We have over 60 nationality, nationality. I want to say people from all nations, nationalities in Roanoke. We're a, a we, we've, we're a, a, a sanctuary city where refugees come here. We got people from places I've never even heard of I've met out knocking doors. And here's the thing. I think a lot of us, especially, you know, we're, you know, we're white Americans. We're going to be real shocked when we get to heaven one day. And realize, oh my goodness, this looks a lot different than my church did. But that's how the church should look. Look, our church, obviously, you look around, we got, we're, we're a little diverse, more diverse than other people. But we, hey, we could be more diverse. We could be a little bit more diverse. And we are to reach all kinds of people. Now, the vision for this is not separate churches for different groups of people. That's why when Paul went to Corinth, he didn't start the first Jewish Baptist church of Corinth on one side and the first Gentile Baptist church on the other. He started one church, came, and then, now look, yeah, he spent a lot of time writing letters to them to fix all the problems they had, but nowhere in his letter did he say, you know what, you Jews worship here and you Gentiles worship there and just leave each other. No, he goes, no, we worship together. We'll work out our cultural differences later. But we all worship together. See, Jesus didn't die just for Republicans or conservatives or middle class families. He died for all people in all stages of life and in every economic standing. To reach them, we're going to have to lay apart some parts of our culture to reach them, to help, to help them hear the gospel. You're going to have to enter into someone else's world to be able to give them the gospel. Now look, it's easy for us to say, yeah, that's right. You need to do that. But that means you may have to lay aside some of your preferences, some of your non-biblical ideas or extra-biblical ideas to reach people. And look, some of you, you're going to get real mad about this one. We're coming up on election season. Maybe don't post anything on Facebook about who you're voting for or who, you don't, who you're not voting for or who you think is a liar. You know what? They are all liars. You know how a politician's lying to you? He's talking to you. They're not, and so look, they all got problems. And look, I know some of you, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not, some of you are going to have yard signs in your yard for one candidate or another. You know, we got yard signs for the church. Maybe use one of them instead. Instead of Biden 2024, Trump 2024, whoever 2024, New Grace 2024. And that means people vote for me for president? Man, I will fix this country in a month and a half with an executive order and then be killed by Congress. But anyway, I'll fix it, bless God. Maybe it means you... you I'm not saying you change what you believe. I'm not saying you accept sin and, and all these... But maybe, just maybe, your political ideals aren't as important as someone getting saved. Once you get saved, then we can talk about stuff that matter to Bible, to the Bible. But if, if who I'm voting for is going to keep someone from getting saved, who I'm voting for doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. 
Keep it to yourself. If what I believe about a culture is going to hurt someone from me, maybe I'll just keep it to myself. I want to make sure everyone gets, not just people that are like me. I don't, heaven's not going to be full of people just like me. It's going to be people from every tribe, every tongue, every background, every political leaning, every everything. We go after everyone. Fourth thing I want to look at is the most important one. We all are responsible for the mission. Here's the most important part. Doing whatever it takes to get the gospel to all people means you have to take some responsibility for this. It's not just my job. It's not just the missionary's job. It is every single child of God's job to get the gospel to the lost. As a church, as individual believers, we are responsible for the mission. I know what some of you are thinking. You know, sharing the gospel, witnessing, it's just, it's not my gift. It's not my spiritual gift. You know what? When Jesus called His first disciples, He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say, if you've got a tackle box and a fishing rod and you're skilled at it, then I'll make you a fisherman. He goes, I'll take you where you're at and I'll make you what I need you to be. You know, I am not naturally gifted to pay my mortgage every month. Penny Mac does not care. If I just stop paying my payment and they call me and say, well, you know what, I prayed about it. This is not my spiritual gift to give you money. They're not going to say, oh, okay, well, don't worry about it. You can, no, they're going to say, well, it's not our spiritual gift to let you keep a house for free. It doesn't matter if you're gifted for it. We are commanded to do it. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you were commissioned to reach people. Here's the thing. The Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. You know what another word for commission is? Command. It's the Great Command to go out, every single believer, and give the gospel to anyone we can. It wasn't just the disciples on the Mount of Olives. It was to every believer and the church as a whole. You know, okay, well, here's another argument. I don't know how to witness. And look, we can all say, I don't know how to, I don't know the Romans Road. I don't know how to witness. How many of y'all can tie your shoes? You couldn't until someone taught you. How many of y'all can drive a car? April, keep your hand down. <laughs> you couldn't until you learned. Here's the thing. You don't know how to witness? Fine. I get it. Learn. Don't cop out. Don't say, well, I never learned. Great. Learn again. Learn anyway. And look, here's the thing. You don't have to... I'm not saying you got to go to Bible college and get a master's degree in theological... Uh, beliefs and you got to learn Greek and Hebrew and all that. I, I'll do that for you. Don't worry about that. You do what Paul did. Say, read Acts 22. In Acts 22, Paul gave the perfect plan for sharing the gospel. You know what he did? He told where he came from. He told what Jesus did for him after he met him and what Jesus was doing through him then. That's all you got to do. I was lost, headed to hell. On the road to Damascus, now that's Paul, that's not you obviously, unless you were on the road to Damascus. But I was lost out of the hell on the road to Damascus, met Jesus, got saved, and now He's using me to build His kingdom. 
That's all you get. Man, I was lost, heading to hell, didn't know what to do. Somebody invited me to church and I heard the gospel, or someone talked to me about maybe a grandmother or a grandfather, someone told me about Jesus, and I met and man, ever since then my life's not been easy. But man, I know my eternity's set. I know Jesus is my Savior, and this is what He's doing through me now. That's all you gotta do. Tell what Christ did for you, how He saved you, and what He's doing in you now. Now, is it hard? Yeah, of course it is. It's very hard to go up to somebody and just share your faith like that. But it's mortally important. It's eternally important. Just because it's hard doesn't mean we don't do it because people's souls are in the balance. If this, this building caught on fire, and it's filled with smoke and fire and no one can find a way out, and suddenly I found a way out, but I didn't tell any of you, what would y'all think of me? If I found the way of salvation and kept it to myself, well, it would have been hard for me to yell, here's the way out to everybody in the fire. Doesn't matter. I know the way of salvation. I know the way for people to be saved from their death and avoid hell and the grave for eternity. Just because it's hard doesn't mean I get to stop doing it. It's everybody's job to share the gospel. And look, you may not be comfortable answering some difficult questions that people ask you when you're sharing your faith. They have them. And some of the hardest ones are the simplest ones. Like, okay, well, if God's so loving, why is there X, Y, Z in the world? You may have trouble answering that. That's where I come in. I'll tell them. I'll answer their questions. You get them here, I'll tell them the hard stuff. I'll answer their questions. We'll preach the gospel to them. I'll tell them what the Bible says. I'll answer the questions. You do your part, and I'll do mine. Here's the thing. You are vitally important to God. But so is everyone else in the world. God is for the one that hasn't yet heard. He's for the one that hasn't yet accepted. He's even for the one that rejected Him and turned His back on Him, but that we're praying for to come to Christ. Others are important to God. And it is important for every one of us to be a part of reaching the lost with the Gospel. Jesus did not come from heaven, live a sinless life, die on the cross in our place, absorb the wrath of the world's sin in our place, rise from the dead just for us. He did it for the world. For every single person who's ever lived. It may make us uncomfortable as a church, but not as uncomfortable as hell is going to be for the lost. We grow deeper in our understanding of the Jesus and the, the Bible and the Gospel. That deeper growth should move us to grow more wider and reach the lost. We go after everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter where they came from, because that's what God did for me. And we do whatever it takes to reach them. Next week, big day. Six-year anniversary. We're going to have a great time praising God celebrating, singing songs. i got a special gift for everybody that you're all going to love. I always struggle with that because I'm like, what do people like? Well, I figured out what you like and you're going to get it next week. Uh, and so, we're, you know, it's drugs. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> some of you are like, alright! Now I can get the Now I can get people here. Preacher's giving out crack. I'm there. No, anyway. Uh, hey, we'll do whatever it takes. No, don't do that. It's going to be a big day. We're going to have a lot of people. We're going to praise God. But... What about the next week? And the next week? 
don't limit this truth that we do whatever it takes to reach all people just one day a year. It should be a lifestyle that we live. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.